How many of you believe that God has been good to you all the days of your life? Anybody? Any of you would be honest enough to say that sometimes you may have doubted that? Uh, sometimes you may have wondered if that were true, whether it be a diagnosis or the loss of a loved one or loss of a job or financial struggle. There's all kind of difficulty this life throws at us. Would you agree with that statement here on this earth? And, uh, and I believe with all of my heart, the more we get to know him, the more that we come to the understanding he really is for us and not against us. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you back to Psalm number 127. Could you make your way there? Psalm number 127. Did any of you get a nap today? All right, by a show of hands, who all got a nap? Man, you guys are rocking it. Look at all the naps that got had in here. All right, so I'm glad. I'm thankful for that. Now, my shirt's a little bit wrinkled, so it looks like I've had a nap, but I've not had a nap. Uh, but it's holding grandbabies today, and so I sport these wrinkles with pride in my heart over God's goodness uh, in the next generation. So uh, I am glad that you're here, and I'm glad that most of you, a lot of you, got a nap today. And if you didn't, I know I kind of joke around about that, but really, I want to just encourage you to try to get some extra rest on Sunday. It's a day that God wants us to rest our hearts and minds. And because here's what we know, Monday's coming, right? And Monday seems to have a lot of challenges. I don't know about your Mondays, but my Mondays. And most of the time, the old saying that says, today's been a Monday all day long is referencing the fact that Monday is usually more difficult than the rest. But we need to conclude tonight that Monday is not the first day of the week, but in fact, it is the second day of the week. And I can only attest to so far, it has been an awesome first day of the week. We had a, a lady give her life to Jesus Christ in here this morning. Glory to God. Uh, we saw God add to his church, you know, like he continues to do. And so it has been a really good day. I was encouraged by some people here this morning. Did anybody encourage you in some kind of way this morning? Now, we're not going to do a show of hands because I know there are a lot of us here, and some of you may not have gotten encouraged. And I don't want to discourage you by reminding that you hadn't been encouraged. Uh, but I hope that at least from the pulpit, you were encouraged by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and the time of praise. That ought to encourage your heart as a child of God. Um, but also, uh, the reason I don't show a, a sign of hands is because we all have a tendency to forget we're here to encourage each other. Uh, so, I want to ask you, make every effort when we gather to worship to encourage people around you, all right? Now, I'm going to say a little word about the staff. Are you ready? Okay, now this is your pastor uh, encouraging you. When you see your staff, uh, would you please not bring up things like stopped up toilets and, uh, you know, uh, agendas and plans for the week when you see Jerry and, and Gerald and different ones. All of that stuff has its place from Monday to Saturday. And so what I want to ask you as your pastor is when you see your staff, let them come in and worship. Let them come in and worship. If you want to say anything to them, just look them in the eye and say, I love you. I'm so thankful unto God for you. And just usher them on in and sit by them and sing with them. And we'll save all that other stuff for Monday through the rest of the week. That, can we make that deal with each other? That'd be all right with y'all? Now, not a, some of y'all thinking, uh-oh, that was me this morning. I hadn't talked to any of the staff. I just know that in just about every gathering, that happens. And so I want to encourage you that way, okay? And then, then the other thing I'm going to say quickly, I had two, and I won't call their names, two of our little young men, about this big, brothers, called me out in the common area this morning. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot going on out there, and you just preach a very difficult message, and I'm telling you, when you draw a line in the sand and say, just say it to the Lord, people get aggravated and ticked off, and you'll catch flack along the way. But here's what those two young men did. They walked up. One of them, first one did, older brother put his hand out there like a, like a grown man and shook my hand. I mean, put a hand. He didn't put me a dead fish. He, he shook my hand, like, you know. I could tell his daddy's been invested in it. He shook my hand, looked me in the eye from down here, you know. And he said, Brother Chad, the best message. You're the best preacher. And I just, and I thought, good Lord. I mean, it just touched my heart. You know what I mean? It's like God said, I want to encourage you through this, to this little guy. Then his brother comes up a little bit later and hugs my neck and says, I love you so much. I'm so thankful for you. And I said, that's being the church right there. And so I want to ask you, please, uh, find somebody every time you gather and encourage them and bless their heart as we come together to worship. All right, now let's get to Psalm number 127, the second half, okay? Now, you know, in order for us to get to the second half, we're going to have to at least touch and remind you on the first half because you got a nap. And when you got a nap, all that stuff deleted, right? No, it didn't delete, but it's back there. It's just a little foggy. And uh, I asked you last week, after you get that nap, get you a cup of coffee right before you come. So I hope you also found that little part of the instruction. And, uh, and that you'll participate with me Sunday night. I don't want us to just sort of sleepwalk through Sunday night. It's an opportunity for us to grow Amen. and uh, be encouraged by the Word of God. So if you would, look with me at Psalm number 127. And I want to invite you uh, as an act uh, on the outside of respect on the inside, out of respect and adoration for the Word of God. Would you stand to your feet tonight? 
uh, because we're not reading <clears throat> any book. We're not reading any literary work. We are reading the very breath of God uh, recorded through human authors throughout history. And so Psalm number 127. Can we smile at each other? Man, you guys look good tonight. And I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for what God's doing in you and through you. And thank you for being an inviting people, inviting people to come and worship with you, inviting people to Jesus. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pause for a word of prayer, if you would, with me. Father, thank you tonight for these people and this place and this word and this spirit you've given me and this gifting and all that you're about to do. I thank you in advance because you're about to transform our lives. And God, I pray as you do that, that you'd use me as the instrument tonight, simply uh, humble before you to say, God, I'm giving you myself. Please uh, use the gift and the spirit you've given me to do what I can't do. And Lord, as you preach through me, preach to me. My heart needs to hear a word from you, and so does every heart within the sound of my voice. And so, Lord, tune our ears in to hear your voice, to hear you above the voice of our flesh and the voice of the enemy and the whispers and the distractions and all the stuff, and quiet our spirit, cause us to sit on the front edge of our seat. And, and Lord, let it be as if only you and us were in this room. Uh, Lord, would you, and I know you will, but I'm going to ask you, would you deal with us as children? And thank you for being a loving father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Aren't you glad he's a loving father? Glory to God. He's a loving father. So this morning, the title was uh, Building a House That Nobody Can Tear Down. And so we're just going to call tonight Building a House Nobody Can Tear Down, Part 2. Now, you realize that really I had two sermons prepared this morning. But as I was watching your faces and you got to looking hungry, I said, I better cut them loose because some of them are hanging by a thread. And so uh, we said, you know what? The Lord said, I'm going to put the rest. I want you to finish that tonight. And so that's what we're going to do. But I want to do a little review first, okay? So remember, we asked a couple of questions as we got started. The main idea is going to be the same. It's just going to flow out a little different in the end. When God builds the house, nobody can tear it down. When you leave here and tomorrow you're at work and you're trying to remember back to what today was about, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you're going to hear the song the praise team sang this morning, when the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. And you're going to be reminded, Psalm 127, when the Lord builds it, right, it's sustained. When he doesn't build it, it's in vain. When God guards it, it's guarded. When they try to guard it in effort, it's in vain. Uh, God's going to supply provision, but if they stay up late and, work and get it, go to work early and it's only their effort, then it's going to be in vain. And you're going to be reminded that when God builds the house, nobody Nobody can tear it down. And I had some great conversations today from those who said, you know what, uh, my life was torn down. I was part of the reason. My house was torn down. My relationship was torn down. Um, but as you said, God has rebuilt and, and done a work of grace in my heart and my home. And man, I'm telling you, I was just shouting and praising God. I've, I've had so many great reports today from a message that you wouldn't, you just wouldn't on the front end think that people were going to be blessing God for. And so thank you for being a people who are open about your lives. So we said, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. We asked a couple of questions. How does the Lord build the house? And we said two ways. They were in parallel with each other, right? The first one was physically down here on the earth. How does he build the home? He builds the home through something called marriage. And marriage defined by the one who gets to define marriage, not society, not government. They don't belong. It's not theirs. It's not ours. We're not arrogant enough to think we can define it. The one who created it and gave it is the one who defines it. And he said it was one man and one woman, right? We talked about that. Now, we said also that salvation, how does he build the house through salvation? Well, we said that through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, he invites everyone, everyone, whosoever, to enter into a covenant relationship with Almighty God. We said that Jesus is referred to in the New Testament as the groom. And any individual, man, woman, boy, or girl, who comes to faith in him as part of the church that he refers to as the bride. And so we see a covenant relationship that even if we're not married, husband and wife, individually, if we've come to faith in Jesus, we're in a covenant relationship with God. And that house is just as complete as one who has a husband and a wife. Do you all remember us talking about that? Which is more, all right, here's the question of the hour, pop quiz. Which is more beneficial or valuable to God? Which one is better, married or single? Neither, neither, thank you, neither. Uh, they are both different, equally value, 
uh, have equal value. And so we said marriage is male and female. We said that salvation is, he did that not with male and female. He did it with one. He did it with the Son of God. He did it with the Savior. And his name is Jesus. That's how he built the house. All right. Then we said, the second question we asked, and we're just going to hit this quick. It's for review, priming the pump. Why does the Lord build the house? Remember? We said there's got to be a purpose to it, just like the entertainment center that I referred to that had purpose but couldn't fulfill it because I didn't follow the design, right, the instructions. So we said that the Lord builds the house. Three reasons primarily, looking at Genesis chapter 1, we said, number one, the reason was to bear his image. Look at you guys. See, you're not that. See, you thought the fog was there, but it wasn't there. You look how you've woken up. And so to bear his image. In, In other words, in physicality, Man's dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air is a representation of God's dominion over all of creation, right? Uh, He said, I will make them, we will make them in our image and likeness. So he said, have dominion. So that to bear his image. And then secondly, we said to have dominion. And we talked about the fact that uh, the reason that man uh, is not told what to do by lions, even though they're, you know, 10 times stronger than us, is because God said, I put you there to have dominion over all. As Again, as a picture of me having dominion over creation, all right? We made a parallel comparison. In the life of a person who's in covenant relationship with God, who's been born again, we also are image bearers. Now we have the image living in us, living out of us, not just in uh, emotions and, and activity, but now the fruit of the Spirit, right? We get some real good representation of who God is because he's on the inside living out, living out of us, okay? And we said also that as we talk about dominion in the spiritual realm, what kind of dominion has he brought to us through Jesus Christ? Dominion over sin. You guys, y'all are, I'm telling you, you are a joy to, to, to do this with. So dominion over sin. Paul said this way, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. All right, so, and then lastly, we talked about to spread his image through reproduction. In the physical realm, it's, uh, we said it's very simple. You have to have a, what do you have to have to have reproduction? Male and a few. You don't have to be very smart to know that you have to have one or the other. We even gave a scenario. Do you remember? We talked about these wonderful genetic scientists that are so wise and so awesome and powerful that if you put them in a room with all of their PhDs and all of their study, you locked them in there with nothing but their nice, fancy white coats, and told them to give us a baby, uh, they would be locked in that room until we graciously let them out uh, because they cannot create without some portion from a male and something from a female, and that is how God designed it, right? So function. Now, reproduction. And, and remember, he said, uh, when he tied back at the end, in Genesis 1, he tied back when he said, go be fruitful and multiply, and then he, he goes back to talking about dominion, Remember? So it's his image going throughout the world. Now, let me just ask you to think spiritually for a moment. What is it, how is it that we spread his image through reproduction as a believer? Discipleship, which first started that is evangelism. Me sharing Jesus, me telling about my story, what Jesus has done for me, what he's done for all of mankind, and making an invitation to my, to my spouse, to my kids, to my neighbors, to my coworkers, to strangers, to people. I want to tell them about Jesus. Why? Because as Paul said, we can't help, excuse me, what Peter and John said, we can't help but talk about the things that we have experienced. We've heard them and seen them, and we can't shut up about them. And we're telling others, and then, and then we're putting our arm around them and discipling them. And we are in, and then what God does in that is that he reproduces other of his children by using men and women, boys and girls, sharing the good news of Jesus. Do you see how these parallel so perfectly? Oh, it's unbelievable. So now we're just moving forward a little bit. We talked about uh, Roman number one. That's all we really covered this morning, right? We have seven more. No, I'm I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Some of y'all said, honey, we got to make a break. Uh, Roman number one, we talked about the fact that what he builds, he sustains. Unless the Lord builds the house. Now, that sounds wonderful. But how does he do that? Does he come to your house and with a hammer and nails and, you know, a skill saw and putty? And what does he, how does, you know, what does he do to sustain the house? We talked about things that God has provided for me and you, single people, married people, divorced people, uh, right, uh, widowed people. We talked about what God has provided to sustain the house. Do you all remember what that is? Number one, it was the provision of? Y'all, y'all, I'm y'all, some of y'all need to come up here, and I'm going to go sit down. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God. And we talked about when Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to send you, what's the word he used for him? The helper. I'm so thankful that I, I love to think about this sometimes. When I start to get overwhelmed, sometimes I just look in the mirror and I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
I, and I have a talk to myself sometimes. Y'all probably don't do that. But I do. I do. Sometimes I have a talk to myself. And I say to myself sometimes, wait a minute, what are you frustrated and anxious about? You are helped. Past it. You with me? You are helped. That's like the present perfect tense. You were yesterday, I am now, and I will be tomorrow. So I don't have to fret and worry. As long as I'm staying near to him, I am, what's the word? Helped. So maybe you'd write that somewhere. I am helped. All right? It's gonna, I'm telling you, you're going to need that this week. When the enemy is tearing at the house, tearing at the house, tearing at the house, uh, the Holy Spirit of God is going to remind you, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm here to help you, all right? And Jesus also associated in John 14 also peace with that. But then the second provision we talked quickly about was the provision of the Bible. And I related that to the story that I told you that I disregarded the designer by disregarding the instructions. Listen to me. You can't claim to have a high view of God if you don't have a high view of his word. You can't claim to have a high love for God if you don't have a high uh, idea, a high thought about his word. If you don't spend time there, if you don't soak it in and invest in it. You can't, listen to me, you can't. In the same way that when I put together that entertainment center, I couldn't say that I really loved and appreciated the man or the woman who designed and put this thing together in 26 easy steps. It'd be ridiculous. And it'd be ridiculous of you and me to say that we have a high priority of God, that we love God, and he's so important to us, but not have his word, not have a prominent place in our life. Now, that looks like, this is what that looks like. Some of us, uh, somebody asked me one time, what does it mean for the word to have a prominent place in my life? It looks like the first thing you reach for when you wake up. Generally, in our context, in our culture, it is your Thank you all for being honest. I took, a, I took a chance right there. I said they're about to do the Sunday school answer deal. Generally, it is our phone. Probably number two on the list is our coffee. Some of y'all say, no, 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 I got to have the coffee before I have my phone. But, but it's, I hate to say, but it's a little bit of a rarity for us, for some of us, that the very first thing, the prominent position, the very first thing that we do is we just get along with God and we let his word minister to our heart. And f I call it framing up how I think for the rest of the day. Uh, if I don't get that, it's framed up already. Because, see, we have a default setting when we wake up. It's, we default right back to the nature of Adam. And if we feed that, if we feed that through social media, if we feed that through the news, if we feed that through whatever, I'm telling you what will happen the rest of the day is you'll fight that old nature tooth and nail. But on the other hand, if you and I will start the day framing up our heart and mind in the word of God, in truth, what happens is as the enemy tears and the enemy tears and the enemy tears, we're able to stand firm on the foundation of his word. So he provided for us also the Bible. And we used Deuteronomy 6. Remember, as he said, that uh, we should teach them also diligently to our children when we talk, when we're sitting up, when we're walking by the way, when we lie down. And then thirdly, thirdly, we talked about the provision of the church. Some of y'all thinking, why did I come tonight? We already learned this this morning. We got to get this thing primed up so we can head into those last few things I want to say. So we talked about the provision of the church. Someone messaged me today and said, you know what? Thank you for saying what you said about the mind change about the church because that's where I have been or that's where so-and-so has been or somebody else in my family has finally gotten from the place of I need to go to church. I've got to go to church too. Man, I get, God has provided for me a place to belong, a place to get stronger, a place to serve. And I'm so thankful that he has done that because it has helped me. When I say I'm helped, I'm helped by the Spirit of God. I'm helped by the Word of God, and I'm helped by his church. I shared a little bit about the darkest hour of our lives, Tina and I, as a parent uh, at the Parenting Summit, the last session that we did. And what I said to them when I explained and talked through the situation that we went through in the past, I said to them that if I had not had the church around me, to love me and encourage me and pray me through and speak Scripture to my life, I would certainly not be here tonight. I wouldn't be here tonight. And maybe because of that, some of you wouldn't be here tonight. And so I'm so thankful for the church. I, I love the church. And by the way, the, the, the church has got scars. How many of you know that already? And the church has got warts. Now, we're not calling anybody's names tonight. We're just saying that, right? Uh, how many of you know it takes all kinds? Thank God it takes all kinds. So the church, and we said the church is here to, to watch out for us. Remember we talked about in Hebrews where he says, obey those that God's placed over you. Be submissive to them when they're teaching. And you've know, you got to know the Bible and know that they're not teaching you some garbage. 
Um, but, but you test that, right? You don't just agree because they got a title preacher or reverend on there. Good night. I heard about a funeral preached recently from someone who had a pastor reverend on their name, and the message of their gospel presentation was uh, something way off from what is true salvation in Christ alone. And so you know you got to spend time in that word so that you know whether what you're hearing is true or not, okay? But when you do, you follow that leadership. Why? Because they're there to watch out for your soul. Do you remember the question I asked you this morning about what's the most valuable thing that you have that you possess? It's your soul. It's your soul. And so we need to think about that, to watch out for our soul. As ones who must give an account, those people God spilled over you will have to give an account what they taught you, how they led you, how they set an example. Number two, we talked about the church is there to encourage us. Those two McCoy, I have to, well, I just said it, didn't I? I got, I don't care. Them McCoy, I'm telling you, they, them jokers put a word of encouragement on me that'll, that'll help me. It's gas in my tank for the rest of the week. Uh, and so encouragement, encouragement. Uh, third, we talked about the churches here to equip us. Now, do you remember what we talked about there? Uh, the church is here to equip us. Uh, to do what? To, to live the mission. To live it where? Well, first in our home. So that's what we're learning today is being equipped in the home. And we're talking about that and some of the roles of that and the, and the, and the, and the specifics of that. And so this weekend, we, the church provided an avenue to equip parents. And we spent specific time teaching and encouraging that parents would be equipped. And so we have this. That's what the church is here for. Now, listen. The church is not here to do it for you. But the church is here to equip you to do it, right? And that's why the, the, uh, it's not about the pastor's not the only soul winner. The deacons aren't the only soul winners. The only uh, ones who love people and meet people and curse people. No, no, no. It's all of us. We're all in this. We're here to equip. All right, so equipping us for the work of ministry. Now let's dive into tonight's message. See how long that prelude was? Um, but honest to goodness, these last three things will, four things will not be very long. I just want to make some points as we continue on. So look with me, if you will, and we're going to call this number one tonight, but if you're just kind of flowing from this morning's outline, it would obviously be big Roman numeral two, okay? And so it's found back in verse number one, and then first part of verse number one, we talked about the fact that uh, what God builds, he sustains. Number two, and this is the second part of verse number one, what God guards is in fact safe. What God guards, let me ask you something. Do you think that uh, in some capacity or some, do you, do you believe there's any way possible that something could get to you outside of God's protection? Now, some of y'all are scratching your head because you're thinking to yourself, well, I've had some terrible things happen in my life. How many of you can say you've had some very terrible things happen in your life? Anybody? Okay, there are some of us in the rooms who had some very difficult things. And when that happens, we began to question, where's God in all this? You know, where's God in suffering? Where is God in what he's, what, he could have stopped what happened? Where's he at and what's happened? And, and so listen to what he says. Now, you understand the economy of God. Anything that he lets into our lives is for our good. And he said, wait a minute. Did God cause it? No, he didn't cause it. Did he allow it? He allowed it through why? Self, listen, here's his, you ready? Free will. And because of free will, and God doesn't violate free will, uh, there's a mess down here because uh, usually with our free will, if we're not staying close to Jesus, we choose the wrong thing. When we choose the wrong thing, it's usually about us. And when we choose the wrong thing about us, we end up harming people around us. Have you found that out? There's what I call the spillovers, this fallout effect. And that's what takes place in our lives. So he says, uh, we find out in the Scripture that when things come to us, God, they're for our good. God's allowed them for our good. And what they're designed to do, listen, is to show us our inadequacy. And people will make this statement to you. They'll say, well, God will never put more on you than you can stand. And I'll say, show me that verse. To which usually they look at me and say, well, I heard a preacher say it at a funeral one time. I said, well, that don't make it true. God will not put more on me than I can stand. That's hogwash. God will, in fact, allow an avalanche to crush you. <laughs> I hope you heard me. He'll allow an avalanche to crush you to the place where all you can do is look up and say, I, I realize now I need you. Amen. I real, I think, you know what I'm thinking about right now? I'm thinking about Jonah on that third day in the belly of that great fish. Not the first day. He's hard-headed as me. Right? Some of us in here, first day in the, in the belly of the great fish, hey, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Get me out, get me out. How many of y'all were the kid that when your mom said, go to your room till you, till you get ready to change and you stayed there for three days? <laughs> That's me. I mean, I get that. And Jonah, second day, he wasn't ready. Third day, he came to the end of himself. And what a sweet place to be. And most of the time, the only thing that will get us to the end of ourselves is when we have a whole avalanche of stuff 
that proves to us that we're not smart enough and we're not strong enough and we don't have the endurance we thought we had. We're not as bad as we thought we were. And we get to a place of humility and we say, oh, God, I need, that's what Jonah did. He said, oh, God, I need your help. And what he'll do, here's what I've learned about God. He'll meet us right there. On the flip side of that, he will never put more on us than we can't turn over to him. Isn't that beautiful? I never have to worry about the load being too much that I can't take then and hand it to him and say, Lord, I can't take, I can't take this. I can't do this. I don't know what to do next. I don't, I, I don't have the strength. I'm broken in spirit and heart. And so here it is. So the guard of the Lord, listen to what he says, unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You can try as hard as you want to guard your family. You can try as hard as you want to guard your marriage, uh, and you can try hard to make everything right. You can watch Dr. Phil and find some tips to guard your marriage. You can go rent you a book from the library. You know, you can get an e-book. You can do all kinds of research. Um, but if it's not God, if it's not of God, if God's not your source of strength, I want you to know you are headed for destruction. You and I don't have a hope in the things this world offers us, in the intellect of man. Our only hope, not just for salvation, friend, listen. Our only hope in this life is to turn it over to him, to say, God, I need you to guard my home. I need you to guard my children. I need you to guard my marriage. And I just want you to know that in the midst of that, there's still something that we call free will. And so what happens when devastation hits and we say, God, I thought you were guarding and what you learn is as long as you stay near to him, you're going to find out that though the seas may get rocky, you'll find out that in the end, we talked about this morning, the house still stands. And God is able to restore and to heal. And so let me just move on. What God guards is, in fact, safe, all right? Now, you need to know something, and I'm going to move on to number three. What God guards is safe. What you need to know is there is an adversary, and he's after you. Uh, he's hot on your tail. Now, I love to say that a lot of times to just sort of pan the room because... Some of us, I don't know, we're just so disconnected from that truth that we don't understand we have an adversary because you can't see him. You know, you know the old saying that says, out of sight, out of mind? And so most of us here say, well, I saw the devil on a movie. You know, he had a red suit and he looked like an alien, you know, and he had a pitchfork. And I thought, man, wouldn't that be nice if that's what he looked like? Because, buddy, I'm telling you something, I wouldn't entertain one conversation with him if that's what he looked like. I'd get out of there so fast. I wouldn't linger for a moment in thought. I wouldn't even consider the temptation. If that was presenting it to me, I'm hitting the door and I'm out of there. But that's not what he does. He uses the things that you desire the most. And he's actively seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He's relentless. Now, he's not all places at all times, but it's not just him. He has a legion of demons at his disposal. And they are not haphazard. They don't just lie in the yard like an old dog and walk, wait till you walk by to try to bite your ankle. Uh, they're, 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 listen to me, they are wise, uh, they are put together, they're planned, and they are actively seeking to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. And that then also means everything good in your marriage. And it also means everything good in your children's lives, grandchildren's lives. Uh, so because of that, we need the guard of God, don't we? We need God guarding. That's what we need. And how does that happen when he builds the house? How does he? Well, we, we learned that this morning, all right? Number three in this outline, look, if you will, in verse number two. We finally have moved to verse two. Can you believe that? Two sermons. And, you know, about, I don't know, 60 minutes in, we've gotten to verse number two. Aren't you glad? And here it is, all right? So verse number two, I want you to write this statement down. We're talking about the fact that when God builds the house, no one can tear it down. We said that what God, what God builds, he sustains. What God guards is safe. Number three, no amount of effort will accomplish what only God can do. Boy, I wish somebody would have told me that a long time ago. Uh, when I would come to church, you know, when I, would, when I would go to church growing up, all I ever heard was, here's something you need to try harder at. And I'd go home, man, and I'd say, man, that was right. And I'd be guilty and broken, and I'd say, yes, right, I've got to try harder. I've got to try harder. And what I learned about myself is that I didn't have a whole lot of hard trying in me. I thought I did. In my mind, I was a pretty tough guy. But I would try hard to change a situation. Do, do y'all know what I'm talking about? You know, you see something that you, you heard preached and you felt, you know, like you really got, and, and then you say, oh, I got to do, I got to do different. And you leave out of there under great conviction and with all kind of promises of what you were going to do better and try harder. Y'all, I mean, maybe none of y'all have ever done that. And then you get out there and you fool around, go to sleep, wake back up, and the default of Adam is there, and you don't spend time in the Word, and you go out into the world, and Monday happens. And, man, you fall harder than you did the week before. 
And you find yourself in a place of guilt and shame and regret. It just sort of gets to be a cycle and it repeats itself. And man, you're talking about draining the life out of you. But this is something altogether different. Listen, listen to what he says here. It is vain for you to rise up early. Now, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> how many of you are early birds? Raise your hand. Or how many of you are not early birds? A good night. It's 50-50. I guess that's a good mix. All right. Now, if you sat down, I want to show you something about perspective. If you sat down with the early birds and you said, hey, man, what do you think about, about the, the 50% that raise their hand that they're not early birds? They'll say, oh, man, they waste half a day by 7 o'clock. You know, y'all have heard that? Oh, you didn't miss a half a day, really? I mean, it's five to seven, it's two hours. And so I don't know about a half a day in your economy, but, but, but that's, we, we think our perspective is the only perspective, okay? And then we have, we have others that, that, uh, that get up late. But let me ask you a question. Is getting up early and getting an early start, is it a bad thing? Now, the late risers are like, yes. <laughs> but I'm talking about sinful in nature. Is it sinful to get up early and get started early? Of course not. But so why would he say it's vain? Matter of fact, I would say this about my life. I would say the days that I get up early and go ahead and get started, I accomplish more. I think that's a valid statement. Now, maybe you stay up later. I, I don't know. But I accomplish more when I get up early and start early. So uh, if I was to just come to you and say, if you came to me and said, listen, it's vain for you to get up early and get started early, I'd say, now, wait a minute, now, wait a minute. The days I get up early, I get more done. What's he trying to say? What is the author of Psalm 127 trying to say to me and you? What's God saying through him? He's saying, if all you focus on is how hard you, early you get up and how hard you work and the effort you put in and the working extra hours and all of that is you're trying harder and you're going to make life better, here's what he's saying to you. It is vain has no purpose, no point, no point to it whatsoever. So in regards to building a house that nothing can tear down, uh, God is showing me in you that it has to be him as the source of our doing, of our living, of our changing, of our desiring, of our wanting, of our living. You, you see where he's going? He's saying that if it's God, but it, on, the, on the flip side of the coin, if it's God who you're getting up early to meet with, if it's God who you're staying up late with, if God is teaching you things and showing you things, then you're going to find yourself in a place of beloved who are getting sleep. What's he saying there? He's talking about peace and rest. And your heart will be at rest and your mind will be at rest when you say, I can't and I'm trusting you can. And I'm not going to try harder. I'm going to make it so simple that I'm just going to draw near. I just believe that's what I've been hearing. My preacher pounded it so much, I say it in my sleep. But God, I'm just going to just draw near. I'm just going to simply draw near to you in your word and in prayer. I'm just going to make it that simple. And you watch what he'll do. Your life will be twice as effective as if you don't draw near and just get up earlier and work harder. So, in conclusion, on number three, no amount of effort will ever accomplish what only God can do. All right? Let me move on if I can to number four. Look at there. We've only got four and five remaining. Number four in verse number three. Now we're going to deal a little bit with the second part of the family being that family part called the child, okay, children. Now, do you remember this morning when I said some of us are sitting and we're hearing a message about marriage and about children, and we talked about, remember, the fact that a single home is no less valuable than a home with mom and dad, right? It's no less valuable to God. A person that's not married and it's not God's will for them to be married and for them not to necessarily have their own child uh, is not a negative. It's not a less than. Um, but we've talked about the fact that, and I had couples come to me in the past and say, well, we can't get pregnant. We, we know it's a reward from God. And what I say to that is you can adopt. And people will say, well, I don't have the money. I said, well, have you tried to raise the money? Have you ever mentioned to us, the church, no, no, I just, I never have even, well, let me just tell you, be praying about that and think about that because with God, all things are possible. And there are some children, little arrows, we're going to get to that in a minute, little arrows that are stacked up in some orphanages in different places, they're stacked up little arrows, and, and, and the world is sharpening their point, and the world is putting the fletching on, and the world is positioning them to go out and, and say marriage can be between two men or two women. Mar you know, marriage doesn't have to be founded on the, on the truth of God. Th those errors are being sharpened by culture. Do you understand what I'm saying? They're being understood by a, a life void of the kind of love that nurtures a heart. Uh, they're, they're not hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they're feeling lonely. And they're going to be really, listen, it's going to be really, really hard for them to be able to relate to God who's chosen to relate, relate to us as father and child unless we have some Christian folk that's willing to scoop them up and bring them in their home and raise them as their own. So please be in much prayer 
about how God would use you there. So we talk here about that children are, I want to read verse number three, children are a treasure, they're treasures. Now, I used this part of the outline at the parenting summit, and I said sometimes we have to be reminded of that, don't we? Huh? Is that like, is that, y'all like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember last week when they were throwing that fit, stomping down the floor. I had to remind myself, that's my treasure right there. <laughs> Behold, in verse 3, children are a, a heritage, a treasure, a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And so uh, God wants me and you to see the value of children. Uh, Now, uh, the value of children is not found in letting them do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it. Uh, In fact, when you do that, you are allowing them to have, let me just say it this way, uh, if you're considering a child as an arrow and the responsibility of the parent is to sharpen the tip, put the fletching on right, so that when it comes time they're shot out into the world as expanding the mission of the gospel with the good news of Jesus Christ settled in their heart, seeing it in mom and dad or mom or dad or grandmom or granddad, they see it with their eyes and they're sharp like a laser point and they launch out into the world and they start penetrating hearts with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if you don't, if you just say do whatever you want to do, let them run roughshod, what happens is they got a really dull point. And not only do they have a dull point, my friend, they don't know the goal. They don't know what the bullseye is. And so they just go out into life and a confused person creates chaos. So a lot of us, uh, if we're not careful, we are guilty of raising children who don't have a sharp point. Their fletching's off. They don't know the target that they're aiming for. They just go out into life and, oh man, what a miserable way to chase your tail. So we see that they are treasures. I said, the times in my life that I realized mine were the greatest treasures is a lot of times when they were little is when they were sleeping. You know, they lay there and they're just so peaceful. And, uh, you know, they're not constantly into something. And But then you watch them start growing up and you see them start assuming responsibility for the gospel. And you see their faith becoming their own. And it not just be something they did as a kid, but it flows into their adulthood, and then you see them marrying folk, and, and well, we're not going to talk about the guys stealing their last names, but, but they're getting married, and they have children. Y'all okay? I'm all right. I'm okay. Uh, we, were at that, we were at that shower today, and they had that Tadlock sign, you know, and I just sat in my chair and thought, she's about to lose the last name, you know? Uh, anyway, I'm okay. Uh, we... we <laughs> If we're not careful, if we miss out on their, their treasures, man, they, 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 then begin to, they get to leave mom and dad and form another whole unit and, and raise up arrows and continue living the mission at home first uh, by our example and then, and then sharpening their arrows and preparing their arrows so that when their time comes, they fire out into and then they, you see how that works? You see how God's plan is so wonderful and beautiful? Listen to me. Do you see how important you are? You're so important. You're so important. Do you realize that, that if any of us in here slack back on that, that there's a huge generational impact? Do you see that? If I stop sharpening these areas, if I don't give them a target, if I don't show them what it looks like, if I don't encourage them and, 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 and give them opportunity to live their mission, and I just send them out there, then it, then it just sort of fizzles out. And then when they have children, same thing. And we raise generations that, you know, are all about football and hunting and you know, all those things that a thousand years from now will amount to absolutely zero. Actually, if you could give a negative value to them, I probably would assign negative value because those things have taken our heart away from the mission. So, so understand the great value of your children. They are treasures, uh, yes, in your own heart, but also in the kingdom. When, when Jackie, she'll send me the numbers of how many they had in this class and that class, and, and I think, man, look at the resources God's given us. Look at the, and y'all, have y'all noticed it's like, I, I, I told somebody that was visiting this morning, I said, isn't it like pastors were visiting from another part of the state, and they said, isn't it like, doesn't it like somebody kicked the top off an anthill around here? And there were kids, we were trying to talk, there were kids buzzing, shoo, shoo, buzz buys, and you know, and they'd come shaking my hand and loving on me, and, and uh, he said, man, what a blessing, you guys, God has put this kind of treasure out here, and trusted you with them, and given you a great staff to Love on them, encourage them, and then, and, then, and, then, and then raising parents, helping shape parents that sharpen arrows. I hope that you'll be a parent, a grandparent that sharpens arrows. Let me read on if I can. Look with me, if you will, in verses 4 and 5. We've come to the end. Can you believe that? 
Let me look at the time. Oh, yeah, you can believe it. You can believe it. Say, we're not surprised at all, preacher. All right. Psalm 127, 4 and 5. I told you they're like arrows. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the, y'all help me. Children of one's youth. They're like a what? Arrows. Verse 5. Happy is the man who has his quiver. Somebody asked me one time, how many is that? I said, I can't speak for you, but for me it was four. (laughs) They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Why? Because they're sharpening arrows and sending them out. And they're forming their own families. And have you ever noticed that the family itself has a little bit of a resemblance of the triune God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Equal in essence, all God, different in person, Son, Father, Spirit. Parent, all right, you you got mom, you got dad, three components of the family. You got mom, you got dad, you got, I'll look at you. All three, in essence, are family. All three, not equal. Now, you understand there's no illustration that will hold up to the Trinity of God. But I said a resemblance of the Trinity. The family has, in essence, three parts. Mom, dad, and children. Okay, I wanted you to see that. So, children are a treasure, but number five, children are to expand the mission. When my uh, parents, or really probably back a little bit further than that, uh, back in those days when they had children, and did you notice, like, have you ever talked to people in the older generation, and, 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 and they, they'll say, well, how many siblings did you have? And they'll say, 12. And I'm like, good Lord. <laughs> and, and then you talk to, you know, uh, uh, somebody else from that generation. You say, well, what kind of, how was your family? Oh, we, we had an average size family. How many did y'all have? My mom and dad had 15 kids. I'm like, what? That's, what do you mean Average. But then when you began, and it's true, I mean, statistically, it's true, and you began to look into why, and what they will tell you is, here's what a lot of the, well, if they're honest with you, they'll say, we need help, man, we got a farm, and two kids can't milk all the cows we got, so we need to have more, we got peas to pick, we got all this stuff to do, and we got to have a labor force here, and so we got to have as many as we can while we're healthy enough to have them, and that's how the family got to be so big. Now, imagine if we took that concept into expanding the mission. And we said, you know what? We, we don't need to just say, because here's what we say. Here's what we say. What do we want? Hey, what, how many kids do we want? Right? And generally, the number is tied to, you ready for this? Safety, comfort, and pleasure. How many, are we, how many do we think we can keep safe? Well, it's one, <laughs> two, Right? <laughs> Uh, how many do we think we can buy cars for later? Well, you know, maybe one, maybe, maybe two. Um, how many do we want? Here's, here's what I hear some people say. We just want two. We want a boy and a girl. I said, that, that's awesome. God will probably give you four boys. But what I want you to see in that is that isn't it interesting that instead we don't say there's this great mission. See, listen, I'm going to tell you something now. We, we, we disconnect what we say we believe from, from how we live. And I say we, not you. I said we. I, I don't imagine, I don't think that Tina and I ever had a conversation where we said, you know what? There is a mission out there, and the, and the Muslims are having this many children per home, and it's like six or eight. And the Christians are having two. Uh, you don't have to do much math to figure out if everybody's doing their part, which most aren't. If everybody's sharpening arrows, we are going to still be outnumbered, right? Four extra for, per family. And I don't believe there was ever a time, and I'm, I'm, Tina can confirm this. She, she's helping with the, in the nursery right now, but I, I'm certain she can confirm this. We never sat down and said, you know what, there's this mission going on out there, and we need to help expand the mission by having, asking God how many children does he want us to have. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. Y'all looking at me mean. Did y'all do that? You didn't do that either. Y'all were looking awful mean at me right there. 
Let me ask this question of you. Shouldn't we have done that? Yeah. We should have. So I'm looking at some young people in the room that not yet had children or maybe in the process of having children. And don't, listen, please don't go home and say, now the pastor said we need to have 15 children. (laughs) I did not, in fact, say that. But what I said is there is a mission. And our responsibility as parents is not to have as many kids as is safe and comfortable and pleasurable. Our responsibility is to our master to say, Lord, how many arrows do you want me to have in this mission that's going on, this battle that rages? And, Lord, help me to accept if that's one or if that's four or if that's mm, 15, that, that I would not cap it by what the American dream has told me and that my faith would guide the understanding of my children is that they are an expansion of the mission. Now, if I was to ask you tonight, how many of you raised your children knowing that you were going to send them out like an arrow, and so you need to make sure they knew the books of the Bible, you need to make sure they knew where the gospel was, which were the, which were the gospels, the life and times of Jesus, which of you taught them the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which of you sat down with them and really instructed them in the faith and gave them scripture to memorize so that their little hearts would be prepared for the battle, but also be able to share with their friends. Uh, now, on the same, at the same time, I would say not many of us. I would say, how many of you, and, and listen, can we just be honest with you? How many of you here taught your children how to walk? All right, how many of you did that? Raise your hand if you taught your children how to walk. Now, I'm going to look down on you if you didn't raise your hand, because good Lord, if you let your child just try to figure out on their own, what kind of parent are you? All right, one more time. Some of y'all held your hand down. I'm just to write names down. We got the cameras going. I'm going to go back and watch this video. All right, one more time. How many of you taught your children how to walk? Raise your hand. Okay, there we go. A little more participation in the house. Now, isn't it interesting? If I was to just keep developing that, how many of you taught your child how to hunt? So many people would raise their hand. How many taught your child gun safety? More, some certain people would raise their hand. How many of you would taught your child how to throw a ball or, or how to, you know, tie their shoe or what have you? All of these things that are temporary. And yet if we held the one thing that's so much, they're an expansion of the mission. We just sent them out, you know. And we wonder, listen to me now, this is not to beat us up tonight, I just want you to think with me. And it's a very clear picture of why culture is the way it is. Lost people act lost. God has provided the family with a purpose. And he's provided children as arrows. And a lot of the time we've missed that. Now, again, tonight, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? If our children are grown, what did I, well, we said something this morning. Do you remember what the phrase was? Narrow the gap. Narrow the gap. Begin conversations about that. Begin helping them now. Uh, you say, well, they're adults. It doesn't matter. Time's not over. And so invest now. Begin to train them now. You say, well, what if I don't know about it? Well, learn. Uh, begin to study, research, find out. How do I uh, learn how to share the gospel? You know, ask me. We, I'm telling you, that's what we're here for. So, Children are to expand the mission. Isn't that life-giving truth right there? I wish I would have had that earlier. Is there anybody else in the room that would raise your hand to say, because I want the younger people to see us right here. Uh, Is there anybody else in the room that said, I wish I would have heard it put that way before now? Now, hold your hand. Now, young people, you look around the room. If you've got little children, you need to look around at us because we don't raise our hand in pride. We raise our hand in regret. We raise our hand to say we didn't give our children the best opportunity. But it's not, listen, for you, it's not too late for us, but you understand, it's certainly not too late for you. You you can, there's some of you in the room that aren't quite married yet, about to get married and what have you, and you can start saying, okay, God, now we got it. We got it tonight. So then you show us how many kids you want us to have. And, And help us from the onset to know that our mission is to sharpen the arrows, to love them and to teach them and to model Oh, I don't know about you guys, but Psalm 127 sure is packed with some great truth. Now, what I want to do is I want to invite you to bow your head with me for just a moment in closing. Would you do that? Will you pray with me for just a moment? Isn't that a sweet sound on the roof? Don't go to sleep on me now. You know, if we were to see a revival in this land, I believe this is one place it could start. In, in the home, that's where it's going to start, in the home. 
And this weekend, this, this focus this weekend, and then this live the mission, and then, of course, the focus of the messages today have been living the mission at home. That's the number one mission field. But it all goes together because you're living the mission at home so that you and your children can live the mission outside the home. And tonight, if God has spoken to you in any particular area, would you just talk to him about it, you and him? Share your heart with him. If you have some regrets, confess those to him. Remember that he's not mad at you. He's not up there wanting to strike you dead. And No, no, he loved you just the same. Now, I want you to imagine the, the love of God for a moment. Fa- think on it. God loves you exactly the same whether you sharpened the arrow or you did not. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? But also, isn't it motivation? We ought to want to please him because his love is so unconditional. So simple prayer like this. God, today I've heard about the family. Help me to be. Help me to be the dad, the granddad. Help me to be the mom, the grandmom, the, the wife, the husband. Help me to be the single person that's living the mission in my home, realizing that I don't have to have a man or I don't have to have a woman because I'm in covenant relationship with you, God. Some of us need to just begin to say, Lord, thank you for my little children, their treasures. And God, I've not been raising them as arrows, but thank you for telling me the truth tonight. Now, now I'm going to get busy. I'm going to get invested. I'm going to get involved in sharpening the arrows that you've given me. Giving them a bullseye, their purpose in life to glorify you. I want to teach them how to share the gospel. I want to show them how to live the gospel. I want to show them how to love people and to help people and to be generous. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if a generation from now, two generations from now, kids and grandkids are going back and saying, I don't know what happened in my mom and daddy's life, but man, that, that, after that particular Sunday, things changed. Father, I pray tonight your kingdom come and your will be done. I pray, Master, that if there be a soul within this group or somewhere else listening tonight or some other time, I pray right now you grab a hold of their heart and reveal to them your son Jesus and the power of his blood he shed willingly on the cross of Calvary to wash away sin. And, Lord, would you reveal the power of his resurrection? And, Father, would you make it clear that tonight if they would die to their own self, their own ways, and, in, and step off the throne of their heart and confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord, inviting him to be Lord of their life, help them to see tonight that you would forgive all of their sin, you would pardon all of their sin. God, you would restore and renew and grant purpose. Oh, God, would you speak to somebody's heart right now in this moment personally? And, Father, for the one who is born again, the one who is saved from the power and penalty of sin, would you remind us tonight that we came tonight and you equipped us a little more? You shaped us a little more. You've changed the way we think about something a little more. And now we believe it's going to transform how we live and, therefore, the rest of our time here on earth. Bless the children. Bless the children with homes that love you. Bless the children, God, with moms and dads and grandmoms and granddads that, is, that accept and understand the assignment. Bless the children with callings and giftings. Father, we pray, meet us at the altar and move in our hearts. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.